20th will now be known as the day that Meatloaf passed away at the age of 74. His family has not released the cause of death, but his wife said that she was at his side when he passed away, but a huge loss to the music community. Alan Cross is musicologist and host of the Ongoing History of New Music and Journal of Musical Things. Alan, welcome to the show. Let me ask you this off the hop. How old were you? Or maybe not how old were you, but what's your memory of, of the first time you put that vinyl um, album in your hands, Bat Out of Hell? Well, that was high school. That yep. was, uh, I was in, I had just got my driver's license. I was driving my mom's 1973 Pinto with a Roadstar under dash cassette player. And I was uh, going out with a girl named Susie and she loved Bat Out of Hell. And uh, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I know every note it. on that album. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I actually was uh, singing from two out of three ain't bad that uh, the Cracker Jack box line, because it's it's one of those lines where everybody has to hit it, um, you know, and sing it out loud. Yeah, it, it was a weird album in the sense that, first of all, nobody wanted to make it. Uh, it took a very long time for Jim Steinman to pitch this record to to Epic Records. Uh, and then it was an unlikely hit because it, it's basically a Vagarian opera uh, with with these weird, you know, movements and time changes and and arrangements featuring this this guy with this voice, which uh, is known as a Helden tenor, which uh, translates as heroic tenor. It's usually the kind of voice that you get uh, later in life. It's very it's quite rare. Most people get it in their late 20s or early 30s if they get it at all. Meatloaf's story was that he was at a high school track and field tournament when he was a teenager, and he got hit in the back of the head by a 12-pound shot put. And after that, he could sing. And he could sing in this really strange, sort of wonderful, operatic voice, which is just exactly what Jim Steinman was looking for, or looking for so his Wagnerian uh, visions could come to light. Yeah, talk a little bit about Jim Steinman and the relationship between Meatloaf and Jim Steinman because he, he, Meatloaf, unbeknownst to a lot of people, was not a songwriter. No, he was strictly the vehicle. If you look at the cover of Bad Out of Hell, you'll see Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell, songs by Jim Steinman. He was the guy that wrote everything, arranged everything, didn't produce a lot. Uh, Bad Out of Hell was done by Todd Rundgren. Uh, but but Meatloaf was the vehicle for for Jim Steinman's vision. They were like this old married couple that got together in the early 1970s and worked together quite well for a while. But then Meat kind of went off the rails with uh, exhaustion and drugs and health problems. And throughout the 1980s, there were all kinds of problems with lawsuits going back and forth between the two of them. They eventually did reconcile in the 1990s, uh, after Meatloaf had gone pretty much bankrupt. He had no money left by, you know, 1990 or so. Uh, but then he he rebounded with a Jim Steinman project. And from that point on, his career was in, in pretty good shape, but his health was not. I was fascinated by the fact that Meatloaf really didn't have many top 10 hits. And I, I basically whittled that down and distilled that down to the fact that he wasn't making uh, albums of songs. They were making concept albums. I mean, it really well, they were making was concept like a, albums. In this, in, you know, as as Steinman was the the composer, right. uh, all the you know most of the money went to him. It was Meatloaf's name on the album, but with the way publishing works, the lion's share, the money goes to the person who writes the song, and that was that was Jim Steinman. 
And, and, you know, there, I, I found it rather odd that, um, that, that bad out of hell, I don't think it made it into the top 10 yeah. on the American billboard album charts. You're right. No, you're right. I it know was, I was looking for hits today and it was like, not a lot. Yeah. I mean, there were two out of three, eight bad and mm-hmm. I do anything for love, but I won't do that. There's there, there were some, some hits in there, but, but the, the, you know, it's really hard. I, I mean, bad out of hell too, uh, was, was, was okay. Uh, there are some other albums that did well and won them some Grammys and Brit Awards. But, I mean, you really have, when, when your first album out of the gate sells somewhere close to 50 million copies, you've got a real problem. <laughs> I mean, how do you how do you possibly top that? And especially if it's such a, a different kind of album. Remember, this came out in 1977, October 1977, and it's the height of punk. And it is about the most uncool thing you could possibly do at that time, because it, it wasn't punk. It wasn't new wave. Mm-hmm. Certainly wasn't disco. What was it? But it, it still ended up becoming, you know, this, this weird uh, series, uh, weird hit. I mean, on Bad Out of Hell, there's seven songs. Five yeah. of them were released as singles. You know, you know what I think it was? I think it was a journey. And I'm kind of speaking on behalf of any Gen Xer here. It was an opportunity to really put on an album and disappear into the storyline, you know, in as you melted into your parents' shag carpet in the rec room, you know, and, and held on to this uh, album cover, just following along with this story. And the, the people that were the session musicians, like Todd Run, Rundgren uh, produced it, but he also played guitar, keyboards, backing vocals. We've got... Um, Roger Powell, Edgar Winter, Max Weinberg, all involved in this album. I mean, it must have been like the the level of musicianship, huge. Yeah. So we have Max Weinberg on mm-hmm. drums. We have yep. Roy Batan on keyboards. We have Edgar Winter. We have Todd Rundgren. I mean, but but if you listen to that album, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's it is an opera. It, it yeah. is this wild musical thing that. Really, you know, if this were the night, if that had been the 1940s, that would have been a Broadway show. Now, eventually it did become a Broadway show, uh, but it, it was just so unbelievably different for the time. I'm going to guess, too, that uh, when you were growing up, yep. you uh, you and your friends spent a lot of time parsing the uh, baseball play-by-play section in okay. Paradise for the Dashboard Light. <laughs> like, what's it? going on? What's yeah. actually happening? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I understood it. Um, it, after a, a while, somebody would innocent. explain it to you. Yeah. yeah, I was a bit young and innocent. It wasn't until later on that I got I got what it is. Oh, my God, he's going to um, all the way. Uh, so, Alan, let's get off that and on to the fact that, uh, you know, he's gone, but he started in musical theater. I think that's the most important thing. It, you know, he was a singer, but he was also a, a great musical actor. Yeah, he uh, started, uh, you know, he moved west from Texas to Los Angeles. He was in a band for a while, uh, a couple of bands actually. And then his big break came when he got a, a, a job on Broadway. He was in the movie, uh, in the Broadway production of Hair. And from there, he ends up somehow in the Rocky Horror Show and the Rocky Horror Picture Show. He plays Eddie, the the greasy biker from the freezer, uh, playing the saxophone. And uh, after that, he uh, by that time, he'd actually already been working with Jim Steinman. And then, you know, Battered to Hell comes along in 1977 and things blow up from there. Mm-hmm. I wonder uh, how long it'll take to find out a uh, cause of death in his case. I'm, well, I'm here's wondering. here's the story. Um, yep. 
he's, you know, I alluded to, he had all kinds of health problems, all kinds of health, you know, 18 concussions. He was in car crashes. He fell out of a three-story building. He had a heart problem that required surgery. He had his knees replaced. He was asthmatic. He collapsed on stage at least twice. Uh, it goes on and on and on. Um, there is a hint Um he had been recently railing against vaccine mandates in Australia. And some people are suggesting that, well, maybe he was an anti-vaxxer. Maybe he wasn't vaccinated. Mm. Uh, maybe that's what killed him in the end. His, his family has made it very clear that uh, we're not going to announce the cause of death. So uh, he's gone. Leave us alone. They're not later. going to announce it ever? That's what I said. That's what wow. I heard this morning. Well, yes. somebody's going to find out. They might not announce it, but it's coming out. You would think. Um, his yeah. wife is Canadian. Uh, they they married in, in 2007. Uh, got two daughters. Uh, he died with, with everybody surrounding him. Yeah. But they made it very clear that, no, we want our privacy and we're not going to tell you how he died. Well, that's interesting. That's for sure. Well, I'm sure we'll find out. We'll have to keep our eyes on TMZ, unfortunately. Mm, that's, um, there's Al the people that are on top of that one. Yep. Alan, before I let you go, Adele's fans are freaking out because she has had to cancel her first gig 24 hours before the show was supposed to start at Caesars Palace. It was a residency. She went online uh, and basically said, look, half my crew has come down with COVID. Here's a little clip. I'm really, really sorry. I'm really sorry. Um... We're on it. We're going to reschedule all of the dates. We're on it right now. Um, and I'm going to finish my show. And I'm going to get it to where it's supposed to be. Now for you, I'm so, I'm so sorry. It's been impossible. We've been up against so much and it just ain't ready. I'm really sorry. I think she's really sorry. I bet part of it has to do with the fact that she's not going to get her seven hundred thousand uh, dollar a concert um payment anytime soon but uh i do feel for her i mean she is up against uh, uh supply chain issues and covid and things are different in the states um are you buying what she's selling yeah completely i i have every reason to believe that she's being honest about everything uh, if you know anything about what's going on in Las Vegas right now, it's like COVID never existed. Um, and it's, it's you know, in the United States, they have a different sense of risk reward than we do. And uh, if, if that's the situation, well, people are going to come down with, with, with COVID. It's just the way it goes. All right. Well, she's saying they're going to be rescheduled. So those people that are out 30,000 bucks, yikes. Uh, well, those are people that... Yeah, those are people who bought the tickets on the secondary uh, uh, marketplace for for the opening night show, which is tonight. Um, she will manage to sort things out. There's there's two weekends in or two days in um, in February where Van Morrison is playing at the same venue, but she'll make it up. She it's just too much money involved. Yeah, absolutely. Adele, uh, one of the biggest uh, artists on the planet right now. I want to thank you for your time, Alan. As always, been a pleasure. You're welcome. Thanks, Alan Cross, musicologist and host of the ongoing history of new music and a journal of musicalthings.com.